the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. At nine minutes after 10 o'clock on this Thursday, the 14th morning of the third month of the year of our Lord, 2019. Thanks again to Daniel Horowitz for scaring the bejesus out of all of us. <laughs> and I say that tongue-in-cheek. I mean, he, he's, um, he's right, though. I mean, he really is 100% spot on. I keep telling you about his book, and I tell you about everybody's book, because that's you know one of the reasons people come on. But some of these things, I mean, like when I tell you Kirstenau's novels are phenomenal, they're phenomenal. When I tell you that Horowitz's book, Stolen Sovereignty, is incredibly important, it's important. I'm not making this stuff up. Um, the judges in this country are taking it over. What was built to be a representative republic, a constitutional republic, centered around three separate but co-equal branches of government, is becoming Animal Farm. Some branches are more equal than others. The judicial branch is telling the legislative branch to, to go to hell. They're telling the executive branch... You have no say. And even when the legislative branch gets together with the judicial branch and says, this is what we're doing, the judges, unelected, appointed, oftentimes for life, are basically usurping their authority and saying, nope, we make that decision. It's like we're living in a, you know, we're, we're, we're living in a something of a, of a dictatorship or 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 a monarchy and and the guy holding the scepter the guys holding the scepter all wear their black robes um they 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 think they're kings of the world they're kings of the country daniel horowitz reference 212f of the ina that's the immigration and nationality act of 1952 right he said it's time for the president to go forth and just use his broad presidential powers granted to him by statute, meaning approved of and ordered by the Congress, the legislative branch, the president has the right to stand up and say no more. Nobody else is coming in here under any circumstances. Whether they be immigrants, whether they be Asylum seekers, whether they be refugees, etc. 212F of the Immigration and Nationality Act of 1952, which I've quoted for you before. In a number of cases, the problem is it hasn't been honored. It hasn't been honored by the courts. This 212F would have been and should have been enough for the president to be able to enact the travel ban the first time it was written. After all, it's within his authority to do this. You have to rewrite it a second time and a third time and a fourth time to pass judicial muster. The president's judgment is the only judgment that matters here. 
And I again implore you to understand this isn't about Donald Trump. This isn't about this gives Trump the power. This gives the president the power. If the president's name was Clinton, or if the president's name was Cruz, or the president's name was O'Rourke, this is the president's purview. 212F of the INA, passed by statute, by one-third of our three co-equal separate branches of government, says that, quote, whenever the president finds that the entry of any aliens or any class of aliens into the United States would be detrimental to the interests of the United States. Let me pause that there. I want to break this down. When the president finds, doesn't have to be agreed upon by other members of government. Doesn't have to be agreed upon by one single solitary member of Congress. When the president finds that this would be detrimental to the interest of the United States, doesn't have to be approved by somebody else in the, uh, in the, uh, uh, in the administration, the executive branch. When the president finds this would be detrimental, doesn't have to be approved by a single solitary judge. No matter how big the gavel he may wield. Congress gave the president power in the INA, Section 212F, to make this decision for him or herself. Quote, whenever the president finds that the entry of any aliens or any class of aliens into the United States would be detrimental to the interests of the United States, he may, by proclamation, and for such period as he shall deem necessary, suspend the entry of all aliens or any class of aliens as immigrants or non-immigrants or impose on the entry of aliens any restrictions that he may deem to be appropriate. I cannot underscore this enough. I cannot possibly overstate the importance of that. This is one of the perks and thus one of the responsibilities of the president. That's why the executive branch, executive branch, being co-equal to the Congress and to the judicial branch, places so much emphasis on the one position of president. He's not the only person in the executive branch, but he's the chief executive. He has the responsibility of making that determination, and nobody else gets to consult with him on it if he doesn't want to. He doesn't have to run this past Melania. Hillary, if she were president, wouldn't have to run open borders past Bill. Jeb Bush, I don't care who the president was, it's his call. He doesn't have to consult with Congress, he doesn't have to consult with his party, doesn't have to consult with the vice president. The president, made by proclamation, doesn't say by discussion and group agreement, by proclamation, may proclaim that in his judgment, for as long as he says it's necessary, suspend the entry of all aliens or class of aliens, as immigrants or non-immigrants. Why do they specialize there? Because some may say that an asylum seeker is not necessarily an immigrant, it's just somebody trying to escape to save their life. 
So any class of aliens or, 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 um, uh, uh, I'm sorry, all aliens or any class of aliens or any immigrants or non-immigrants, as long as the president deems it necessary, he can limit, suspend, or deny all entry into the United States for as long as he says it's important to the United States in his judgment. We vote every four years to decide to whom we give uh, that power, whose judgment that we trust. And for unelected judges, who we don't vote to give that trust, to usurp that authority and say, too bad, the judges say, we, we disagree with what the president says. We disagree what the, with what the Congress did, the, the legislatures did, and we disagree what the American people decided by voting for those members of Congress and voting for this president. We, who are not voted in by the American people, know what's best for them. So we're wiping out presidential authority. That just cannot be allowed. Daniel Horowitz is right. The solution here is for the president to invoke 212F and be done with it. And nobody should be able to say a word. But instead, here we are, knowing full well that the uh, unelected judges, especially in places like the liberal Ninth Circle of Hell, some people call it the Circuit of uh, Court of Appeals, I call it the Circle of Hell, because that's what they are and that's what they bring about. But somebody will go to that court and say, the president can't do that. No, wait a minute. The statute says he can. Too bad. We're challenging that. No, this was already greenlit by the Congress. They gave the power to the president, whomever that may be, way back in 1952. It applies today. Nope, not anymore. This is what Daniel has been shining a spotlight on for so long. That story in bright, bright, um, uh, Zero Hedge, rather, which, by the way, you cannot find on Facebook any longer. And I know that's another story about censorship by big tech. But Zero Hedge has had all of its content blocked now, can't be shared on Facebook, because Facebook says what Zero Hedge writes violates their community standards. Zero Hedge has never posted pictures of naked women, sadomasochism, barbary, bestiality, articles filled with profanity, anything indicating or implying otherwise, all they've done is profess the news as they see it. There is news and then there is opinion, obviously, the way so many other news agencies provide. And Facebook, seeing that this is right-of-center thinking for the most part on Zero Hedge, which is kind of a combination of uh, Breitbart, there's several sites that kind of are are mashed together with Zero Hedge and Breitbart. Actually, it's Bright Hedge, uh, but Zero Hedge is just a phenomenal uh, conservative uh, ideological place, and they're banned from Facebook, which again is another story. But Zero Hedge wrote there actually um, uh, reprinted this Daniel Horowitz article about what the courts are doing while we're while we're asleep and just arguing about a wall. Congress could never get away with creating constitutional rights for illegal aliens to remain here. Yet one single lower court just did so. And where Congress would face deep reprisal in the next election, faceless judges will never feel the heat. He's 100% right. They're giving constitutional rights to aliens who don't get constitutional rights by way of our Constitution. And they've been granted it by lower courts.
Conservatives are right to fear that extreme Democrats might actually achieve their goal of abolishing ICE and all immigration enforcement. But the lower courts are already systematically abolishing ICE's authority, nullifying immigration enforcement statutes, violating separation of powers, and constantly increasing the wave of bogus asylum seekers that they originally spawned with other radical rulings. The latest ruling from the Ninth Circle of Hell demonstrates that unless Republicans and the President begin pushing back against these radical judges and delegitimizing their rulings, Democrats will get everything they want without ever facing electoral backlash or even the need to win elections because the judges will do it for them. It is truly hard to overstate, writes Daniel, by way of uh, Zero Hedge, the outrageously harmful effects of Thursday's Ninth Circuit ruling, uh, Ninth Circle of Hell ruling, I'll call it again, for the first time in our history, the courts have fabricated a constitutional right for those denied asylum to appeal to federal courts for any reason they wish. There's a lot of background information there that I can't share with you now because I've got to get to a traffic. I'm going to check your traffic. I'm going to share more of this information with you, and I'm going to take your phone calls as well. 216-901-0945, Either one of those numbers gets you here on the Bob Francis. Zero, zero, eight. One, two, three. Turn it up. All right, 10.27, I got time for a call or two here before the bottom of the hour, depending on what people want to say and how they're going to say it. Uh, Bo is in Cleveland. You're on AM 1420, The Answer. Thanks for calling, Bo. Go ahead. Yeah, hi. hi. Bob, yes, Bob, you're saying uh, they're co-equal branches. They never were co-equal. The Congress has oversight over all these items. We could have uh, dismantled this Ninth Circus uh, for a long time. We had the House for how many, eight years? We could have split up that court. We could have uh, rearranged it. We could have, uh, they can impeach these people, especially at the lower levels when you have these injunctions uh, settled. Uh, you, you do recall that Eisenhower took two million people and rounded them up and sent them back to Mexico in the 50s. Uh, I don't understand what the difficulty is. We have cowards in our Republican Party. They are wimps. They don't want to do what they're told. I, I think a lot of them don't even know what powers they actually do have. They ceded it to the executive, and the law has been passed, and it's been sitting there. They should be able to, you know, Trump should, as you said, Trump should be able to do whatever he wants on this issue because the, the law is there for him to do it. And I would definitely shut the whole damn border system down at this point because there's no other you, way around it. Including legal immigration. But strangely enough, the president is, is not there. You know, the well, president hasn't talked about 212F. You know and what I'm thinking? Hasn't, uh, I'm think, <clears throat> yeah, Bob, I think he's thinking uh, next election, and then after that he's going to do what he has to do because uh, then, then they can't do anything about it. But yeah, the point well, is, by, then it, by then it may be too I late. I know, it by then be, we know? may not have a country. This is right. insane. This is an, we, we have judges that have usurped our ability to be a sovereign state, and that is basically treason in my book. And this is where Congress is supposed to come in and start impeaching these suckers one by one, pick them apart and say, listen, you, yeah. you're either a nut or you are a detriment to our country and you are, or, or you are a traitor, one or the other. All, all, any, most of these got to be, I'd have to, I would like to have all the congressmen and all the judges take pee tests. Uh, just like they do in the NFL, because I have a feeling that half of these people are on so many drugs that they don't know what the hell they're doing as it is. 
You know, the, the trouble is, uh, it, the reason it's, it's, I mean, it's supposed to be co-equal, but they're not co-equal is because only one, actually two of the three branches do have to answer to voters. And if congressional representatives decided, hey, I don't like what the ninth is doing, I want to start impeachment proceedings against these individuals, um, it's going to have a direct impact on their, their next election because their opponents are going to say, this person is trying to usurp the authority of the courts. And the courts are we, you know, they are appointed to make to these lifetime positions because they get to make those decisions. You know how it goes. Um, everybody answers to voters except for the judges, which is what makes them the ones that are truly, you know, again, in my animal, for, animal farm reference, uh, more equal than others. You know, the, the, the Congress, yes, they have the authority and the power to, to impeach judges. Absolutely. But to do so is extraordinarily difficult. It's extraordinarily rare. And again, it comes with extraordinarily dangerous political costs that are associated with it. Most of them are not able or willing to pay. All right. Great call, though. You make a very important point. We'll talk more about it and uh, more of whatever people are on hold right now want to say. 216-901-0945. Back at Pyre. Attention, social justice warriors. If you're looking for a safe space where your delicate ears won't be offended, this isn't it. This is the Bob France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. 1035, we roll onward on the Bob France Authority. Don't forget to follow me on the social media toxic uh, platforms. Uh, toxic Twitter, I am at France Radio, F-R-A-N-T-Z Radio, all one word, no spaces, no underscores. And on Toxic Facebook, same exact place. Hate using them, but will use them to my advantage as the opportunity arises. We'll go right back to the phones uh, after I give you a piece of good news that I think we all need right now. Arkansas and Utah have become the latest states to send their governor's laws that would ban most abortions 18 weeks into a woman's pregnancy. The Arkansas House gave final approval in an 86-to-1 vote, and it's supported by Republican Governor Asa Hutchinson. Utah also passed the 18-week ban, but Republican Governor Gary Herbert hasn't said whether he'll sign it. Bills in both states have exceptions for rape and incest. The 18-week bans would be the strictest in the country. Tanya J. Powers, Fox News. Interesting. Uh, and, of course, we also know that in the state of Ohio, we're so happy to point out that the Senate did pass uh, the fetal heartbeat bill. And that is something that will go to the House now, obviously, and then it will eventually make its way to the governor's desk. The last governor, who was a conservative in name only, John Kasich, vetoed the heartbeat bill, sentencing more and more children to death uh, by uh, at the whim of their mothers. And Mike DeWine, for all of his problems, and I have plenty of problems with Mike DeWine and gas taxes and more, uh, but uh, Governor Mike DeWine has pledged he will sign that fetal heartbeat bill, which would essentially make uh, abortions outlawed after roughly six weeks or whenever the fetal heartbeat is detected. So really, really good news in the fight to protect uh, life. And that's exactly what this is supposed to be all about. All right, back to the phones. TJ's been waiting patiently in Cleveland. You're on AM 1420. The answer, go ahead. Yeah, you know, Bob, if you want to look at the power of a single judge, you need to look no farther than the city of Cleveland. You know, back in the early 70s, Judge Batista, a single judge, did a decree on the city that did more damage to Cleveland than any politician or any natural disaster when he forced busing on the the Cleveland people. Not only did it start the rapid decline of a great city, in the long run, it showed no benefits. And, you know, we talk about Trump. I remember one time Trump made the statement he kind of compares himself to Andrew Jackson. 
well, you know what? Maybe it's time for him to start acting like Andrew Jackson. You know, back in the 1800s, this same kind of judicial power grab was going on, and Jackson went head-to-head against the judicial branch. Maybe this is what Trump's got to do. Yeah, somebody does. There's, there's, there's no doubt about it. And that's kind of what I think Daniel was talking about. And, and, and again, the problem is it's, it's circular. You know, it's a vicious circle. It comes right back around. Every time he tries to push back against some of these judges, he is going to then have another judge or set of judges in another circuit court rebuke him and say, in issue an injunction saying, you can't do that until we go. And, and at the end of the day, it's going to end up in uh, most of these things anyway are going to end up in the Supreme Court. If Trump wanted to actually act upon by way of the powers given him in the INA uh, on Section 212F, it's going to eventually work its way to the Supreme Court. And I don't have faith in that court. We're supposed to be celebrating. Trump got two appointees out of the nine-person uh, uh, Supreme Court. And he got Gorsuch and he got Kavanaugh. But, and we're supposed to have a majority now. But instead, the Bush appointee, John Roberts, as Chief Justice, is turning out to be a liberal who is not constitutional, who is not an originalist, who does indeed change his rulings based on the prevailing uh, uh, pol- politics of the day. That's how he votes. And as Daniel Horowitz told me, Kavanaugh's not far behind that. You know, we all fought really hard for Kavanaugh because of what Kavanaugh was going through and because of what they were doing to him. It was not fair. It was not right. I organized a beers for Brett after he was finally confirmed just to, you know, to show solidarity with somebody who was so unfairly criticized and characterized as a rapist, et cetera, et cetera, by the unhinged left that is so worried about the makeup of the court. And because of that, we believed that if the left hates him so much, he must be so conservative and great, this is going to be great for us. Come to find out, he never was that much of an originalist. He's very, very pliable, if you will, in the same way that John Roberts is. So my point to all of that is, we can't just count on going into, you know, past the bad judges up to the Supreme Court, because I don't know what we're getting from the Supreme Court. I really don't. BJ is in North Olmstead, AM fourteen twenty. The answer. Good morning, BJ. Go ahead. Uh, your your call-ins are right on target, but I'd like to clarify the point even more. These are not a bunch of tradesmen making these laws, or a bunch of salesmen. These are attorneys. Attorneys have ruined this country legally. This idea that we are a country of laws are not the kind of laws that people are happy with any longer. So from the Supreme Court down to the, the, these judges that are, are making laws by the from the bench and usurping the president and the Congress's rulings, there's something very, very sadly wrong, and we have to wake up to this fact. The legal system is anti-American, in my opinion, from what the things that they have passed, from abortion to late term. Now some states are reversing this, but states are going to have to take hold and the people are going to have to rebel in the voting booth against. I would not, I would not any longer vote for an attorney because I don't know if he's a conservative or a liberal, but I do know he's an attorney. He's a student of the law and the law is not what, the law has nothing to do with morality. And I hope people start to wake up to that fact. We do need laws, but we need laws that have morality based. Not this gibberish crap that's going on from the benches, and I thank you for your time. 
Yeah, and I thank you, BJ, and and I I completely concur. I mean, I you know, morality sadly is in the heart of the beholder, right? Rather than the eye, it's in the heart of the beholder. What one might consider to be moral, one may not, and that is the problem. And that's why we're supposed to have non-biased arbiters to decide, uh, you know, these type of things, whether they be in law or not. Well, primarily in law. But yes, you know, it's it's funny because morality can be closely equated to religion, and we all know the battle between um, establishing a religion. You know, the state establishing a religion, and we all know the 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 fight over that that has been going on since this country was founded. But to me, you know, don't look necessarily at the Constitution for this, or in the Ohio Revised or the uh, United States Code, your actual actual statutes and laws. You know, you look to the founding of this great country, and you look at our Declaration of Independence and look at the number of times we do refer to um, our Creator, our God. Our, our founders re- represented that very, very clearly uh, in the, the Declaration of Independence from Britain. And to me, that is overlooked and whenever we have this battle about the separation of church and state that is overlooked that we are we don't we're not saying you have to be christian you don't have to be christian or a particular denomination of christianity you don't have to be jewish you don't have to be anything but you can't stop people from being any of the above and promoting it that's what true freedom of religion is and we were founded as a religious nation and as such Morality that is generally regarded as being universal respect for life and liberty of all should be included in our laws. So I agree with BJ. I agree, and I think we have a historical precedent to you know to to back that up. Morality should be included in laws that we pass because morality is closely akin to the religious uh, nature of the founding of this nation. And again, that's not advancing a religion. It is just simply acknowledging that religious freedom exists in this country, and morality is almost uh, is a part of almost every um, you know religious tenet. Bruce is in uh, Lakewood. Bruce, you're on AM fourteen twenty. The answer. Good morning, sir. How are you? I'm doing good, Bob. I, I really loved your uh, last uh, the interview with the last guest you had, Horwitz. Dan- Daniel Horowitz, yes, sir. That was some information I think a lot of people need to hear more of and uh, talk about and uh, back the president on for sure. You and I talked before when you were on another station, and uh, I loved you back then, and then you disappeared, and I've discovered you again. So uh, you always put on a a great show. Uh, Thank you for that. Appreciate you looking. You mentioned uh, Animal Farm, one of my favorite books. I mentioned to you a few years back a book by Kurt Vonnegut, Welcome to the Monkey House, a book of short stories. And uh, one of the stories in there is really what political correctness, and that's what your show was about that night, mm-hmm. and liberalism, or let's say the far left, and um, uh, more than, I, I think people can be liberal and not be left. Um, but anyway, explain that. the left and political correctness. Uh, in that book, he describes a, a very dystopian society in which Everything is mediocrity. Uh, if you're beautiful, you can be t- intentionally scarred to bring you down a few notches, or you can wear um, masks, or uh, if you're athletically adept, 
Uh, they will weigh you down so that you can't run any faster than anybody. I don't know if you ever got a chance to read it. I did not. But it's a very short story, quick read. I would suggest it for you and a lot of people. Uh, Kurt Vonnegut wrote this a long time ago. I think he was forewarning of what we're coming to right now. Explain what you mean when you say you can be liberal but not left. What I mean by liberal is more the compassionate, kind of traditional, college-educated, uh, what they what they taught in college a long time ago. Liberal arts, um, you know, more charity, but charity, I think, at home, more on a local level, uh, those types of things. Not to the left where the left wants the government and totalitarianism to be in charge of those compassionate sides of things. So I'm just saying, uh, I think people get confused a lot of times, uh, because I've heard discussions about it, you know, uh, left versus liberal. I think left tends to be extremely political and uh, in, in its orientation, and, and not very socially compassionate in reality. Do you know what I'm trying to get at? I, I, I do. You, you're you're in a really really complex area here because um, um, when you're trying to when we're trying to define or delineate morality and separate that out from, for example, charity. Um, Correct. I I, I I I kind of get where you're going. I've always drawn more of a distinction between liberalism and democrat people kind of use those two words as if they're interchangeable and that has not all, and maybe today maybe today that is the case to be quite frank because to me if you vote democrat in 2019 you are voting for extremism you are voting for extreme liberalism slash progressivism because they have made themselves the party of death they have made themselves the open border society they have made themselves anti-capitalist pro-socialist which of course is the road to communist I just don't Absolutely. think you can vote Democrat today without saying I am a committed liberal. Um, it, so it, I can parse those words, Democrat and liberal. I don't know that I can necessarily separate liberal from left as as much as you are. I think those are much more synonymous um, than you know. There's more similarities than there would be differences. Let's phrase it that way. Well, and I, I think you're right, and I I agree more with what you're saying in, in terms of. Uh, I'm thinking more in, in terms of the definition of a word to be liberal on, on certain things um, versus, you know, being a staunch being a liberal. Yeah. You know, being some being liberal about, uh, I don't know. I know what you mean. If you're just talking about definitions of words, yeah, I mean, I can, I can use, I can use um, metaphors liberally, meaning I use a lot of them. I can, I can use, uh, you know, Correct. Italian seasoning in my sauce liberally. Liberal use of that. That that's a that's a definition that is different than the political liberal that we're talking about. The political liberal lives on the political left. The political Correct. liberal is on the leftist ideology scale. And if you want to make, you could, if you really wanted to be. <clears throat> meticulous about this describe leftism and and describe the difference between being a leftist and a liberal you know because a liberal to me is more uh you know to the left of the political center a leftist is much more belie- a believer in full on uh socialist slash slo- socialist slash communist policy which is why it appears that now they are intersecting much more than they ever had before 
You know, because now to be to be a liberal Democrat is to embrace leftism because there is no moderate liberal anymore. There is no moderate or centrist on the Democrat side anymore. And you know how we'll know the truth, Bruce? You know how we'll know the truth? They have nowhere to go other than to the far left. Well, uh, yeah, let's let's wait and see who they nominate. You know, yes. you've got these far, far left nut jobs who are who are, you know, leftists, I think ideological leftists, not just to the left of the center, but but leftists. Um, and then you've got some of the more moderate, uh, you know, and, and, and strangely enough, a guy like Joe Biden, who was the number two vice president to uh, Barack Obama, he would be considered a moderate on the scale against an Elizabeth Warren or a Cory Booker or a Beto O'Rourke or any of these other people. So do they nominate somebody who's more politically moderate or or the extremists that have uh, kind of taken over the Democrat Party right now? Then we'll know whether or not the modern American liberal Democrat is truly embracing leftism or if there is still somewhere uh, for them on the standard ideological scale, which would just indicate they're they're to the left of center. Right, and I, I think we're going to have to wait and see on that. Yeah, yeah. We um, you know, one of the other culprits in this whole scheme, and, and there's a lot of talk about it lately, has been the Southern Poverty Law Center. Yeah, is that it? yeah, that's them. Um, the SPLC. They're they're, right. they're a joke. Of that, an that's like that's like exactly what we were talking about with liberal versus left. It's a nice sounding thing. The words sound like they do great work and. But all they do is stymie every legal attempt uh, on the right to to correct the ship. Well, they they started, Bruce, and thanks for the call. I got a jet here and get a timeout for my traffic. They started out, actually, with a noble purpose, the Southern Poverty Law Center, but it didn't take long for them to just become a political machine for the left. And what they are is a group of committed leftists who are evaluating what's hateful and what isn't among everybody else. And lo and behold, everything that isn't uh, in their ideology is hate. And they decide what is a hate group and what is it. They decide that the, uh, that the, um, uh, that faith, uh, religious faith foundations are rooted in hate. Why? Well, because they, they believe in the Bible. And the Bible doesn't promote homosexuality or gay marriage or transsexuality or any of these other things. And so, oh, well, you're not, you're not embracing of that because you believe in the Bible. You're a hate group. All they are is a far-left group that judges anything that is to the right of center or beyond a hate group. And they have an extraordinary amount of power because the media has given them uh, given that to them. Thanks for a great discussion. Appreciate it. Got to move, though. Traffic, come back, get a call or two more before we're done on AM 1420. The- All right, uh, five good minutes left. Now well, maybe we'll call it four and a half. Uh, let me see if I can get a phone call in here. Maybe two. Uh, let's see where this goes from Mark in Fairview Park. Mark, you're on the air. Good morning. Go ahead, sir. Yeah, Bob, I'll make a quick. Uh, uh, Prager once said you were, uh, the idea about the liberalism that you just got done discussing. He once said if, if, if an idea, a liberal idea works, these are fine. But if it's just this nonsense from the heart, like the uh, uh, LBJ's War on Poverty program, instead of using your mind or intelligence, he's going forget it. And I'd also like to say this Anti-Defamation League, ACLU, Southern Poverty Law Center, who actually has Ben Carson on their list, they're all on the left now. So thank you, Bob, for your time. Thank you, Mark. I appreciate it. And, yes, they are. I mean, that, that's what I mean. The, the, the modern Democrat party is, you know, the pod, as I call it, the party of death. They are leftists. They're not just liberal anymore. And there is a difference. There, there's a great PragerU video that I watched. Oh, Lordy. I don't even remember how long ago. 
Uh, but there's a great Prager University video that really delineates the differences between leftism and liberalism, because they're not the same. I mean, for example, you can be, li- at least at a time in this country, you could be a liberal in this country and still believe in borders, right? You can believe in borders and sovereignty. You know, you might, might want a more liberal policy about letting people in, but you believe in borders, you believe in sovereignty, you believe that we shouldn't be uh, overrun. The left doesn't believe in borders at all. Leftists, as opposed to liberals, leftists want borders wiped out. Liberals can believe in nationalism. They can believe in the functioning, you know, nation state. Okay, again, they might have a different idea of how they're supposed to operate compared to conservatives, but they believe in borders and and nation state. The left or leftists are globalists. No borders, no limitations, equal distribution of wealth, not just amongst the population within our country, but around the world. That's the difference between the liberal and the left. And there used to be a conservative and liberal party. Or, you know, the conservative party represented as best as we can by Republicans. Not that all Republicans are nearly conservative enough. And the Democrat Liberal Party. It's not the case anymore. Now the Democrat Party has embraced full-on leftism on matters of race. You know, it used to be... Oh, well, I shouldn't say it used to be liberal. Somebody who is just liberal might agree with conservatives that race shouldn't even be noticed, should be a non-factor. After all, isn't that what the civil rights movement was all about? Isn't that what Martin Luther King died preaching? A time in which nobody would be evaluated by, by skin color because we didn't notice skin color. But a leftist wants you damn well to notice skin color. You better notice that skin color and notice what was done to that skin color generations ago. Notice what it has suffered and make sure that you give special attention to it and take care of that. Pay reparations for that and on down the line. They believe in the principle of racism and separation of races by identifying those races. Liberalism didn't do that. Liberalism was livable. Liberalism was was a part of the scale in which we could say, here's where we disagree, but here's where we can agree. Leftism isn't even on the scale. There is no place to agree. They are so far out there. They are so non-American. They don't believe in capitalism. They, They believe in globalism. They believe in race identification as being a precursor to any discussion and understanding of anything that that separates people. Uh, The leftists do not believe in free speech. They believe in only speech they agree with and everything else must be silenced. That's not liberalism. Liberalism is dying. Leftism has taken over. That's all the time that we've got. Really great discussion today. Let's pick it up there tomorrow on a free-for-all Friday edition of the Bob France Authority. Enjoy the silence. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.